It's a recording. So, Dad, I think Justin and I are still trying to figure out what exactly the format is going to be for the podcast. Okay. So I know you and I spoke yesterday about um, you wanted to know kind of the theme we're going for. And I think what we're trying to aim at is having a space where people can share their stories or talk about them their experience, whatever that may be. Right, right. So you don't have a topic yet, even I mean a title for the for the podcast yet. Not yet. Have you shared with him what we talked about yesterday? Uh what's, what, your story? what's your story? Kind of as the idea for the podcast. Okay. As a title or I think it could be a title, I think it could be but that's definitely the guiding presence. Yes, kind of like the theme, right? What's your story? So you want to know people's story. Because mm-hmm. everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. Okay. But initially I was thinking that might be too overwhelming of a question. What's your story? So I was thinking, what's okay. your story today could be more of a focus. Okay. But it all depends on what you want to get from the person, what you want to be communicated. Are you trying to learn more about how the person has seen life or how, what the person is going through or what? Yeah, because a story, there are several stories, even though we have a long story, yeah. there are several mini stories in between. That's true. Right, so you guys give me the cue and then we roll. Yeah, you. I think one of your interesting stories to me, at least hearing you talk about it, I don't know if I've heard like a full story is how you got into advertising and why you came to America. Ah, okay. So let me talk about how I came to America and then the story naturally weaves into how I got into advertising. Yeah, I mean, but uh, no, when I came, you see, one of the things that people don't realize is that in, when you finish high school in Ghana, right, and most parts of the world for that matter, back then, you know, you, you don't gain easy admit, admission to the universities because the universities back then were all boarding schools. So you have to live on campus. There was no, no. So how many people can you accommodate on the campus? So the universities in Ghana at the time I was growing up were like three. And each of them had the population of like 400 or 300 or something. Because the number of beds determine how many students we admit. You can't live at home and go to school. That's like, no, who does that? Okay, so many of us have to go overseas. If you want to continue education, yeah, but if you didn't want to continue, you just live there and nobody cares. So that's what prompted me to come. So, so when I came, I learned a lot of things. You know, I learned a lot of things. One of the first experiences I had was I woke up in the morning in my aunt's house in Brooklyn, New York, and I went to turn on the radio and I was listening to music. So my cousin, Dubaka, came and he says, Takwisi, no, 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 you have to listen to this. This is black music. This is America. There's black music, there's white music, there's Spanish music, there's this, there's this, there's this. You Africans listen to everything. And I said, yeah, because we don't have the issues you guys have here. So that was my first knowledge about the radio stations. Oh, so there's black radio, there's this, there's this. I said, hmm, this is a different country. So moving back, so moving forward, so eventually I started school and I was studying uh, retailing. I, I, mean, I was studying marketing, but with a specialty in retail management because at the time 
Macy's and Allbirds and all these stores were the big thing in New York. Everybody wanted to get into retail. So I was studying marketing with the major, with the focus on retailing. So I moved out on my own. I was living by myself. But one of the things that I noticed is that because I was interested in retailing, I would watch TV a lot to see how things were being sold, what was being advertised, this and this and this and that. So one day, a Jamaican friend came to my apartment and he asked me, Pa, what is, why did you buy this? And I gave him a reason. Why did you buy? So apparently, he's noticed certain things I had in the house that he realizes I don't use, but they are always there. <laughs> but I never knew. So he started asking me and I gave him a reason for everything. So one day he said, no, no, to management, I mean, into uh, retail, and I was, I wanted to be a buyer. So, you know, you can be a buyer of men's shoes, men's wear. So that's what I really wanted to be. You know, work. It was who was that? That was uh, Nordstrom. There were big stores in New York, so that's what I really wanted to do. Before this Jamaican brother really made me aware of my consumerism or my materialistic materialistic tendencies that I wasn't aware of, and that woke me up to realize that there's another dimension to awareness. The fact that you see and you hear doesn't mean you are aware. <laughs> you know, you what do you what see. do you mean by that? You have to see with your mind. You have to see with your mind, as opposed to letting the eyes just see. That means when the eyes are seeing, you are not registering. You are not making them. In other words, you have to look at things, see things, hear things, and say things consciously. So you should always be conscious. It's about consciousness. Being alive doesn't mean you are conscious. Yeah, you are alive, but are you conscious? Are you, if I tell you to do this, will you do it without questioning me? If it's yes, then you are not conscious or you are not self-aware. But I learned all of this in advertising, you know, and that's what some people think advertising is manipulative. I don't think it's manipulative because I teach consumer behavior and I tell students that if I want to convince you, right, and if you are discussing whether this table is square or round, the smartest thing to do is to try to understand your perception of this table. So I have to get into your head to understand how you see this table. Then I can make my argument. But if I... I think to me what's interesting about your point is I've been watching some Larry King interviews. Yes. And he asks a question I think that embodies what you're talking about, which is he'll ask people, what's something you long believed was true uh -huh. that you've since found out wasn't? Wasn't. How would you answer that? Something that you always believed was true, but then you realize wasn't. Uh, you know, living in New York, I thought that people were skeptical, people were not helpful, people were uh, self-involved. Mm. But then I, I look back and I said, no, everybody is helpful. Everybody wants to help somebody. But then when you live in a place like New York City where everybody is busy running up and down, it can kind of cloud your, your state of mind or your state of being where you think, you feel you have negative thoughts about people. Mm. So when I was in New York, so even when I moved to Atlanta, 
uh, I wasn't communicative. Like when I, I remember when I was in Atlanta, the first day I went out, you know, I never said hello, good morning to anyone. Because coming from New York, people are bad. I don't want to get involved. So people would see me say, hello, good morning, say, good morning, how are you, good morning. So when I went to him, I told my roommate, I said, do I look like I just came from somewhere? And he said, why? I said, well, everybody is saying hello to me, everybody is being nice to me, like they are welcoming me. He said, that's how these people are. And at that point, I realized that, no, people are inherently good. My circumstances sometimes, you know, discolor our state of mind. So that's what I've, I've come to, that people are inherently good. No matter how bad somebody, you may think somebody is, that person is good. Justin, let me ask, so I know, because this is a practice run. Right. Um, for you, since my dad basically answered the question, I feel like the story question you put out there, would this be a helpful place just to kind of like wrap it up? Or should we keep? Uh, I was just enjoying hearing him hear his perspective, so I would say keep going. Okay. You have a second question? Well, I was going to say, I thought the story for you coming here was that you were interested in English. So you came here to learn English. Yeah, yes. And then you were going to go back to Ghana right. and teach. Right. So before, yes, that was before the retail management. Yeah. So when I came and I saw how business was all around me in New York, everywhere you go, people were, there was a store, there was a this, there was a that. Because when I left Ghana, I wanted, because in my class, you know, at the end of every school year, they, they have something we call a speech and prize giving day. Every school in Africa has that. <laughs> so at the end of at the end of the summer, here it will be at the end, just before summer, that's when the schools end, like May. Yeah, like mm. attendance awards and stuff. Yeah, so they give awards. And I always had the awards in English literature mm. in high school. No, in, uh, yeah, in high school I had the awards every year for English literature. So I wanted to, and I used to uh, do a radio show when I was, 12 or 12 or 13 when I was in high school. Yeah, I used to do, I used to I used to do a radio show Which was broadcast to the United States children's show. Yeah, when I was young huh. Yeah, 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 yeah uh, Because the thing was that I used to write I used to write a lot when I was growing up So a cousin of mine Kweku Coleman told me that you know some of these things I'm, I'm writing I can send them to uh, Ghana broadcasting which is the, which at the time was the only radio and TV station in Ghana owned by the government. Said so you can send it there. They will broadcast it. They, if they accept it, they will broadcast it and they will uh, pay you for it. Mm -hmm. So I started writing and then I would take it to. And again, there was a Jamaican woman <laughs> who was heading this broadcast. She was married to a Ghanaian uh, who was. And I learned a lot. So so far. I'm, I'm going to tell you another story that will show how much Americans had had an influence on me. So Mrs. Mesa was, is the name of this woman. So one day, so I'll send my scripts to her. She will look at it. If she likes it, they will broadcast. She will tell me that it was, uh, they will tell me, she will tell me the day to be broadcast. And it goes from Ghana and it's, you can't pick it. You can't pick it up in Ghana, but it's actually broadcast to North America. Mm. Right. And so... Uh, one, and Mrs. Mesa called me and said she wanted to talk to me. So usually my school, my high school was not far from the broadcasting house. So when I leave school, I can just walk there. Mm. 
So I went there and she said, you know, you are an African writing about people, important people in the world. What are the Africans in here? You talk about Shakespeare, you talk about Isaac Newton, you talk about this. Where are the Africans? I was 12 years old and I was thinking, huh? So I said, well, she said, do you have a library card? I said, yes. She said, go to the library and do some digging. She didn't tell me what she said, yes, go to the library and do some digging. So I went to the library and that was the beginning of the, of my, what I call the revolution of my thinking. Sort of the evolution. It was a revolution in my thinking. Mrs. Mesa actually changed the way I saw myself and how I saw the world. Mm. You see, I mean, I had a very positive view of myself, but it was just myself. I didn't see a race of people. I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see that if I'm going to motivate Africans or African Americans in America with my writing, then I have to bring up people they can relate to. You see, so Mrs. Mesa really helped me to do that. So that was the basis for me coming here. So, okay, I'm going to study English, get a, a PhD in English or a bachelor. I mean, a, 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 definitely I wanted to go beyond bachelor's, get a master's, and then go back and teach English. But then once I came here and I saw how business is the backbone of every economy, I saw, I saw it. I, I mean, I went down to Wall Street. I went down here. And everywhere you go, there was hustling and bustling. And I said, this is what I want to do. You know, this is what I want to do. What I wanted to do was help businesses to manufacture things, to make things, and to sell things. I didn't say anything wrong with selling. Some people would say, well, by that, you are making people spend money and stuff like that. But to me, that was exciting, being able to help companies to develop products mm -hmm. and sell them. So that was my whole focus, just the showpiece, the store, the retail, how you set things up. Because even there's a psychology to how the stores are set up. Where the mannequins are, why is the mannequin here and not here, where is this? And so I was interested in that. So I went from trying to teach English to something that was more action-oriented. You know, so that was, and then as my Jamaican friend came and moved my thinking, I realized that, no. I am more interested in the business of persuasion. So when people tell me, you know, what I do for a living, I said, I'm in the persuasion business. Because that's what I do. That sounds pretty shady. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but it's something that we all do. When you meet a friend and you have a discussion, chances are you probably want to win. Right? Chances are you want to get things your way. But it's all about persuasion. It's all about persuasion. That's what we all do. All of us try to persuade somebody. Every day in life, you leave your house. The first person you see, you probably want to persuade that person. Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere. When you came to the U.S., was that your mindset day one when you got here, or did that develop over? Oh, it developed over time. It developed over time because when I was 11 years old, I read a book. That, that's, that really changed my mind big time. It's called, it's a little tiny book called Man Know Thyself. Victor Frankl? No, this was a book put out by, by a, an organization called Rosicrucians. I don't know who those people are, but you know, if it's a cult or what, I think they still exist, but in a small group. But it was a small pamphlet which I ordered. I read, I, they placed an ad in the local papers and I just 
sent for it and it came and it talked about the fact that you are it you are in charge of yourself how you think where you go what you do and everything else and so if you can open up your senses to understand who you are you will understand your fellow human being because that's how everybody that's how everybody feels so if you know yourself you can communicate with other people is you can get along with people because the way you are as a person is the way she is the way he is the way he is so that set me on the path of you know, from that perspective so i was and i was always very curious i was always very, i was always trying to learn new things i was reading every book so by nature i is the way somebody else does so i'm able then to use that knowledge to convey my point of view to other people, whether it's in an interview setting or whether I'm dealing with a client. You know, so it's a gradual project uh, progression, but it was a conscious effort to improve, you know, because it's all about uh, continuous improvement. That's like continuous improvement. It's a conscious effort. You cannot improve unconsciously. Improvement is a conscious effort, and I've always made it a conscious effort from the day I realized that I exist. Hmm. Do you have a question there? I was... oh, man, that seems like a good way to end it. Okay. That's a good call. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but then somebody could ask, well, what is existence? How do you know you exist? And that's another discussion. Philosophical, yeah. Philosophical, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. No, but be, be, being in the U.S. has been interesting for me because it says, you see, when you live here, you don't see how this system pushes how you think. This system pushes your thought process. You have to grow. By the time you are five years old, you should have a 10 year old mentality, but you are in it, so you don't know that. Yeah, you don't know that. Because I remember in Ghana, you know, like people from overseas, whether black or white, will come to Ghana and they say, how come this little boy knows so much? When I was growing up, sometimes little kids would be around and they know that they are doing And they say like, you know, but it's the system you grow up in. You are pushed, you are challenged to excel, to know, you know. So when I came and I realized that, I said, that's, that's the thing. You have to consistently push yourself. You constantly have to push yourself. You have to make the pursuit of excellence the cornerstone of your life. The pursuit of excellence no matter what you do you have to make the pursuit of excellence the cornerstone of your life mm. yeah let me because with you talking about ghana to the u.s mm -hmm. it's making me think about my uh a class at Loyola um, on the psychology of immigration right so going back to the first day or first week or first month you were here right is there a moment when you realize you were in America or in the US like if you were to speak to another person who immigrated here uh -huh. would there is there a common experience that people have when it's like okay I'm somewhere different or I'm oh, in yeah. America I mean, I mean I'll tell you a simple story right. about, about, about a friend so okay so he and I arrived at JFK and then my aunt picked me up from the airport and took me home so he took the bus from JFK to downtown Manhattan so he called me and he says, you know, 
he, the, he got off the bus waiting for his ride, but then there was a sign that said, no standing at any time. So he kept pacing up and down. <laughs> <laughs> little things like that. Yeah. Little things like that. It took it very little. <laughs> but every immigrant would tell us, very little thing like that. It's like, uh, okay, go up, turn left. Or you, you'll be talking to somebody and say, how do I get here? This, that, that, make a left. Make a left, nobody knows that except in America. Ten left. When you say make ah, a left to a foreigner, confusing, yeah. make a left. But this is my left. How do I make a left? <laughs> Ten left. Little, little things. Mm. And then you realize that no, there is a different type of English that is spoken here. Mm. But little things like the science, the English, the little, little things. I mean, one guy was telling me, I can't even remember the story. He was in the cab. And he was telling the cab driver to do something in the back. The cab driver was saying, like, speak English. Man. Where did you come from? And the guy said, the cab driver can't even speak English. But he's telling me to speak English because he doesn't understand the English I was speaking. But it's an English that Americans understand. But as you live here and you get into it, you forget about those times because you become part of, you, you know, you, be, you become unculturated. And as a result, no standard any time means you are talking to cars. Yeah, this guy said he pays up and down for like two hours waiting for his ride. Because he said no standard at any time. <laughs> but it's real. It's real. You know? Or even something like hamburger. You go and eat meat in the, in the, in the bun. It's like, why are you eating me? 